Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast again. We are back in business. How are you doing today, buddy? Hey, man, you're full of energy for someone. Well, I guess you're used to working from home, so this is normal. You're just laughing at us all, right? Well, it's it's a struggle because the wife is working from home and her job is you know answering the phones, and so when the phone it's noisier than it usually is, and so uh, but again that in the grand scheme of things that's really not a big deal. But yeah, it, uh, not that much different. Although interestingly, I've had many family members and uh, ask, well, what equipment do you use when you work from home? And mm-hmm. so I put together a list of all the stuff in my office and. I was like, well, I've got to remember, I've, I built this office over like two decades. So right. <laughs> you look at that bottom line price tag and it's not what I put out the first day. But yeah. Now, how's it working from home with you? I mean, I'd imagine with a young one, it's it's distracting, distraction city, right? It's tough. A two and a half year old. I mean, fortunately, which I feel so guilty for, she will sit on in her uh, chair and watch TV endlessly for like four hours without even saying anything to the point where I have to check she's still there when I turn around on my <laughs> swivel chair. But um, we were using an iPad with the Montessori app and Khan Academy and so forth, which was working to a certain degree. But the iPad's not really built for young kids. There's too many ways that they can accidentally exit out of the app and end up back on the home screen. So we watched a bunch of people, friends that have Kindles, the Kindle Kids Editions. One of those is turning up on Tuesday. Oh, okay. So I'm hoping for a little bit more luck. Um, And there seem to be more educational apps for that uh, her age group on that. So... Other than that, I mean, I worked from home for a long time, so I'm I'm used to it. I can stay motivated. And quite honestly, I'm in meetings six to seven hours a day anyway. So it's not like I have long periods of time in the day where it's like I can get distracted and go off and, you know, lose myself in something else. Well, good. Well, and I hope our listeners are coping as best as possible. So um, we're back after a, a couple of sessions of uh, independent recordings and so on. And uh, i got a whole ton of news here. So we'll go through this. And we've got a couple of guest ideas, uh, one confirmed for next week and some others. So we'll get back to the schedule as best as we can. I'm hoping that no one's really mattered because there, most people aren't commuting. So they don't have 45 minutes to listen to a podcast on a commute from their bedroom to their office yeah, or their kitchen, right? It is funny, though. I've seen a lot a lot of people tweeting like uh, Alex Simons, who's a CVP of identity, was talking about like the shows he listens to. And there are a few people that can work and listen to those things in the background. I am not one of those people. Like, Nor am I. <laughs> I, can, I can have music on, but if I have the TV on and I'm doing emails or I've got the podcast on and doing emails, the TV show is done and I'm like, oh, hang on, what did I just miss? Like, I've just missed the whole episode of context. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. In fact, when I play music, it's generally, you know, classical or some instrumental stuff, so there's no words distracting me, so... All right, so jumping right into the Microsoft news, uh, the, for the first uh, one that I found, which is something I know a lot of folks have been asking about, is a updation update to the profile card. Well, it says through Microsoft Graph, but this is really kind of Microsoft Search profile card. Um, this is a blog post from Bill Bear, who's a longtime uh, SharePoint team member, and letting us uh, implement or update the, 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 the rendering of the people card, profile card that's shown in search. Now, he mentions Microsoft Graph Beta on here. So do you know what the graph interface on this is? Or is yeah. It so Kevin Bellinger, who's been on the show, and unfortunately his audio was very scratchy. Uh, it was the first show in January from memory. 
He's been working on the Profile API, which we announced at Ignite, and there's a great theater session that he did, which is full of humor. So if you haven't watched that, I would highly recommend it. Um, he's also very funny on Twitter. And so he's been driving as the chief architect on this internally for Profile APIs. And really what he's doing, he's, he's sorting out our mess of everywhere in Microsoft that we have profile information. Um, and his first big win was really the profile photo being consolidated into one kind of single source of truth. And now he's doing the similar thing with SharePoint user profile service and taking a lot of, you know, what we as developers have been using for a long time in the profile service and the ability to do custom properties there. And obviously an Azure Active Directory with a 16 different attribute and really making those so they're viable as things like cost center or employee ID or always have various different properties that are quite common. Where he's placed is the same place where search is engineering wise and the same place where the profile card, which is common across our web products and our rich clients and mobile clients as well. And so he's worked with them so that now as Bill's blogged, you can now define that cost center profile property or employee ID profile property can be surfaced in the host contact cards, which, you know, I use all day long. I could get teams, especially with what's been going on in the world. I'll get teams, IMs all the time asking questions. And sometimes I just need to have the context of who this person is. I'm not good with names and faces. So the more detail in the contact cards, the better, right? And so that's something that they've been working on uh, for a while. And it's great to see that uh, come out there in, in the UI and be backed by this profile API, which right now for third party is in beta that you know we're consuming in um, in the UI itself. Yeah, so Bill mentioned this is rolling out in spring of 2020, and but obviously uh, we'll see how the schedule holds with uh, everything else going on in people's lives. But so that's a nice uh, update coming out soon. The next little news tidbit, which is nothing at the moment, but will soon be very, very big, is the Office UI fabric is evolving into Fluent UI. And so what's changed today, for example, is when you go to the repo for the Office UI Fabric, you get redirected to the new home of it in GitHub, but not much else is different there. But this has a, a ton of potential for things changing. And so um, I, I say this is not much at the moment because if I'm a developer and I want to use Fluent UI, well, most of our listeners are probably doing either SharePoint, which means you're using what the SharePoint team gives you, or you're doing Teams, and so you're basically trying to play with what Teams will render nice. But as as the whole Microsoft Fluent UI design principles flow throughout the entire organization, this is effective as well. So um, lots of good stuff going in here uh, eventually, but uh, nice to see that they're they're getting closer. I'm just pausing to think what I can and can't say, but there's been a bunch of executive meetings with like uh, Rajesh Shah, who's our EVP and our CVPs across the different areas of M365. So, you know, Kevin Gallo, who we've had on the show from Windows dev side, as well as, you know, Jeff Tipper, who this audience will know very well. All of the CVPs that we have in our org around Exchange and Outlook and Teams and so forth. And what's been really exciting is is that there's this big push to get an alignment that we all do things one way. And so there's a bunch of obviously 
work that's been done around Office UI Fabric and what the team started off called Stardust, which was another UI framework, to try and make sure that we're telling and we're using the same story across all of M365. So I'm really excited with all those initiatives that are really being driven at the top to have these meetings like every other week now with all those execs in them, which, you know, I have the, it's really nice to be able to see that and see how they operate at that level and the decisions that they're making quite quickly based on briefs that, you know, people like I, you know, down in the weeds, brief them on. And so Fluent UI is uh, definitely going to be one of those things that you need to keep track on because it's now like the strategic direction of the company that very much I would compare it. This is like the UI contract for first party and third party in the same way that the Microsoft graph is as an API contract. Um, so essentially now, you know, much like with a graph, we've not, re- you know, we haven't seen any APIs sneak out there that haven't been on the graph that, you know, anything net new is graph or nothing. And I think with Fluent UI, you'll start to see that as the same kind of agreement internally and especially this first party, third party thing too. So I, I really like that direction of Fluent UI. It is a little bit frustrating that we have Fluent and Fluid as two different frameworks that we're talking about. Um, I'm not sure whether that will get fixed. It's probably not the right word, but it, it definitely is going to cause, cause some confusion for sure, I think. But um, yeah, if you've been using UI Fabric, definitely go read up about what, what the direction is with Fluent. Yeah, and um, I made a note to find someone who's a little bit more fluent in these technologies to talk to us uh, because I was in the weeds about styling and some are doing yeah. SASS and some are doing CSS and some are doing CSS in JavaScript and someone uh, something else. And I was like, oh, my, my head exploded. So a lot to wade through. But uh, to be fair, I, I suppose in another six months, there'll be a standard, as you're saying, right? Everyone will coalesce around a certain way to go. And then that'll be what's to, what should be used and be easier for us. So looking forward to that. Yeah, and, and it's also being pushed as all first party experiences use it too, because there was a lot of talk in that meeting around just the discrepancies in the user experience between different platforms like web and Mac and Windows and mobile devices. And the whole idea of Fluent is that we have the same user experience contract between all those different platforms. So it's definitely a 1P3P thing that they're trying to drive here, which is really good. Yeah, looks good. Right, the next item I found, I, I'm not sure if we talked about this or not, but you can now subscribe to change notifications through the gra- through uh, Microsoft Graph, and you can subscribe to Microsoft Teams messages. Uh, a couple different scopes uh, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a chat or uh, on a team. Uh, or channel. I'm not sure. I think there's channels as well. But the idea, of course, here is I can get a webhook or a subscription against activity that's happening inside of Microsoft Teams. A couple of noteworthy things that, that I noticed. One is that the payload that you get back is encrypted and can include the data. So I know we talked about this before. With the, that was a new update to some of the exchange subscriptions as well, right? Where you can, you, rather than getting just the ID and a notice like, hey, this ID's changed, go figure out what it is. You can actually get the payload uh, sent to you with encryption. 
And then the other thing that um, also struck me as new is that um, the team's team, if you will, right? So had had given us guidance in the past that, well, the best way to get this information was for your bot to be, you know, subscribed, right? That's what was available. The big thing here is that I can subscribe to a channel conversation, even if a bot is not uh, added to the channel. There's a kind of fundamental difference there. One is the bot gets notified and it gets a message. This lets you get a subscription to all that information. So the kind of closing the gap that I know a lot of people have been asking for. So uh, it's nice to see that uh, this is going. And obviously this is in beta, uh, uh, off the beta endpoint, as you can imagine. So I think the team seems been busy with a few other items in the last month or so. But at least they got this out before before things got crazy. We've been working on this one for a long time. Um, and the reason is it's quite a complicated scenario that we're doing and obviously there were security implications that we needed to get greenlit from our security and compliance part of our organization that you know obviously very much cares about traffic and data and so forth the main reason for this one was the data loss prevention scenarios so um, you know around e-discovery and being able to just kind of capture those messages as and when they happen in uh, what, what we're quoting as near real time uh, the general SLA for a standard change notification webhook uh, is essentially within five minutes is our actually our service level agreement. Whereas with these particular ones, because of the DLP scenarios of needing to get those as soon as they happen, they're basically stating that those rich webhooks in these particular subscription models will be a lot more in near real time than the five minute mark as well. And so there's a bunch of work we've done there to try and satisfy some of these very large vendors that are basically using that as a way of storing and capturing that information for, you know, legal customers or health compliance customers. And there's many different industries where it's very important that they capture those messages and do whatever intelligence they need to over them to make sure that, you know, they're not leaking or discussing topics in the wrong places. There's lots of different scenarios that DLPs used where they needed those webhooks. So it's great that that team have prioritized that work. And the rich notifications, obviously for us, is a benefit because it means that you don't just get the webhook and then immediately have to take the ID and then go get a call to find out what the information is. Um, so for us, it's actually a savings. It, it reduces the amount of call traffic. Um, and so that's an, you know a benefit that we had of having these rich no- notifications. And you'll see those in other places too coming soon as well. And the, the, the cost of that is us developers need to do more work to set up and register, which is not complicated. Well, it involves certificates usually, so maybe it is a bit complicated, but uh, it's certainly worth, yeah. worth the effort. You just say it's not complicated. It's worth different. Yeah, every time I do a demo on stage where the certificate's involved, I'm like, oh, this is going to be so much extra working around. But um, we are doing some stuff with the SDK to try to make that easier. So Vincent Beret is the PM for webhooks across the holograph, um, which we're going to get on the show next week. And... He's going to be driving a bunch of work with Daryl, who owns our SDKs right now. To the, the, that's kind of a, a, a big item for those of us who've been paying attention. A PM in charge of webhooks across the graph. That's that's great news. <laughs> so uh, um, yeah, because everyone. <laughs> yeah, he he owns that and Delta as well. All of like the common contracts that the graph has across the different workloads he's driving at the moment which is yeah. great and so okay oh, great yeah look forward to talking with vincent again next week right, the next uh, microsoft news item is the adaptive cards community call that happened in, in um, early march of 2020 
And so uh, obviously I've talked about adaptive cards a lot because I use them a lot. But what's what's interesting is, well, a couple things. Adaptive cards are kind of hooked in with Power Automate. So if you're writing a flow inside of the Power Automate service, you can use adaptive cards, which is nice. But the other nice thing is they actually did a demo about what they have labeled the adaptive card management system. And that is a fancy way of describing the templating features that are available that I know you've talked about a few times in the uh, Graph Explorer preview, right? The, the rendering the data as a card. So uh, it's nice to see that's moving and, and information. They, they Again, this was just a, a, a preview of the portal that they showed us uh, in, the, in the community call. So it's not something I can go to play with right now, but stuff's coming in. It certainly uh, looks pretty slick. Yeah, I think adapt, there was a few things we had at the MVP summit last week where the, in terms of reactions, this stuff got the biggest amount of like, whoa, like give me this now type feedback. We didn't have much of that at the summit, but that was definitely the one that got everyone excited. And I think the big thing here is, is that the tech is extremely cl- clever and it simplifies something that is obviously a common challenge in terms of rendering data in a way that's standardized and is is quite easily transported between different frameworks and the notion of the templates is really neat and graph explorer shows this off really well like if i go and run get my profile or get my file and you know in graph explorer you see the json come back with all the different properties and the values Essentially, that tab, the adaptive cards tab in the preview, when you click it, it goes and looks to see whether there is an adaptive card template. And then it basically transforms the data, the graph return as a JSON, throws it through that template and renders it to the screen. And and so it really kind of takes adaptive cards to that next level, in my opinion. And I'm really excited to see that work. And Matt Hedinger and David Clow are, are kind of driving this work in adaptive cards, and they've been working to make sure that like for instance Microsoft Teams supports the latest and greatest adaptive card versions and you know we, we know it's going to be harder to kind of keep the templating engines up to date as well so there's a whole bunch of like cross Microsoft work they're doing um, to get this all aligned so it makes sense for developers to kind of commit to and use so if you haven't played with that go into graph explorer and have a look at that adaptive cards tab in the bottom pane uh, when you run a command and you'll see you know some of them have template rendering some of them don't yes and and i encourage you to uh view the recording of the community call because it certainly can uh just seeing their demo you know made my my head go crazy with even more I mean, we use adaptive cards in the product but there's even more things going on there so it's great so that was a, a great thing there so uh, that's what I found for we found Microsoft news to, this time. Now we switch over to the community and uh, the first uh, couple here that you you put in here. You want to talk to us a little bit about what, uh, what you see out in the community? Yeah. So obviously last week was the MVP summit, and you would have seen MVPs talking about being at the summit and not being able to share any information about it. But the big transition for us was I've been planning this event since. October last year with VESA as track owners for the office development track. It was meant to be in person and obviously with everything going on, it became a virtual event all hosted in Teams. I was really surprised how well Teams stood up, not just because of running that event in virtual, but also just everything, everybody else using Teams for the first time because of everyone being remote. It was pretty incredible. That thing just worked. Um, and I, you know, from seeing internal emails, there are a lot of people that, you know, just need a hug and a thank you for keeping the lights on our services because the scale we've had to add core wise to the cloud to keep this thing running is just 
it's mind-boggling the numbers and i do hope at some point uh, an ignite or something that someone gets up on stage and talks about it but what yannick uh i think it's the reeksman i I, sorry yannick i know you listen but i we're all bad with pronunciation uh there are some challenges with teams and guests with regards to meetings um if you create a meeting within a channel they won't show up in a guest's calendar um it's because of the notion of them not being completely in the tenant um so they could join the meeting if if they were added to the channel as a guest but they couldn't see it on their calendar and so yannick wrote a blog post of how he managed to create ics files um which is basically you know you can import those into your own calendar and see them all based on kind of going into the sharepoint page almost hijacking the access token and and using the developer tools to call the graph as the guest, iterate through the events, and then kind of merge together all these individual ICS files into one giant ICS file. It's something we've discussed at length internally of like what would have been an ideal solution for this. And, you know, we're talking to the calendaring team and the team's team to make sure that we start to like unblock these guest scenarios. But it was just super cool just to see, you know, how Yannick approached it. Obviously, he's not doing anything untoward in the sense that the access token is available there in the browser uh, and the user, you know, has consented to access those things. But it's just a creative way he did it with a combination of like Postman and the developer tools in JavaScript and a bunch of other bits and pieces. Just to, to, to reiterate or to pile on with what you were saying, as an attendee of the MVP Summit, there were numerous logistical challenges and I have... A complete sympathy for the logistics team to try to replan, <laughs> but there was I had zero issues with Microsoft Teams re- delivering the content for me. If I once I found the chat or the video or the meeting that I wanted, it was the tech was rock solid, so that was great. And and yeah, and so thanks. And I actually did use, I didn't, you know, we're all busy, so I saw oh, there's a zip file of the stuff, and I know um, Yannick is a you know office dev type of guy, so I figured okay, great, so boom, uh, import the ICS files. There was 800 plus in all, in all technology. So like, okay, well maybe that's not really what I want to do. <laughs> but it, it was good. But um, yeah, so that was cool. And then um, another MVP that's been blogging a lot recently is Simon Agron. Um, and he's been blogging about building a bot um, in Azure using Node. And it's a part series. And for me, it's been really good just to kind of see other people write how they would do like a getting started or build your first bot because obviously you know i owning devx as always you know i'm working with our team on tutorials for get started with graph and um, i'm kind of excited to see how his series pans out as he starts to do the call the graph from the bot with the user's context and so forth and how he breaks it down because there are a lot of moving pieces when he gets to that level with you know bot framework and the azure service and azure ad and the graph itself and permissions and consent and what sdks you need to do and and so i'm you know if you're not plugged onto that series and you've been interested in bots especially in the world we live in now where there's a lot of stuff going on with the coronavirus and integrating with bots i'd highly recommend that and he's a great conversational writer would be the way i put it very much my style of writing as well where it would be like if you were sitting down here and i talked to you about it is how he's written the blog post which is makes it super easy to read and consume which is cool yeah, you know, I hadn't I hadn't seen this, so I look forward to going back and catching up on the series. And and so, um, the, the, yes, I would definitely agree. And and just from you know an outsider's perspective, the the auth story around bot framework is actually pretty good. It's it, it's it's gotten tight really 
really helpful, but that doesn't necessarily work it unless you're down in the weeds of of writing the bot code and and you're a tenant admin and you can click the right buttons or then as always right so it's nice to see that um he's putting some stuff in the words here and i'm, and I'm sure that some of the some of the rough edges will, will be exposed in his list and and we've already seen some work in the in the team's team around single sign-on with the bot framework and tabs and, stuff. and so i think the more the more visibility people will fix them right that's generally what happens happens as we find these rough edges and and explain them people say oh yeah okay and they go fix it so it's great to see that happening here and and i, I look forward to reading through what simon's done it's quite funny daryl just pinged me he's like what are you doing in a meeting you don't have any scheduled meetings get out and chat with me exclamation mark <laughs> how do we conference them in right? <laughs> <laughs> he's feeling all lonely he's yeah. another one that's been laughing quite hard about working from home considering he does that from montreal every day and so there was another one there uh, on quick tips to improving performance when searching for a user in the graph. I'm actually going to open it up because I don't know. Uh, okay, it's another name. Y- Yarbus Horst. He works at Varlo. I've actually met him. He's really a super nice guy. He's been doing a bunch of blogging too. So if you haven't been keeping up with him, here's another one where obviously at Varlo, they're doing a lot of stuff to push the envelope, much like you know a lot of our ISV partners out there. Um, and this one, he actually broke down all the different ways you can query a user and kind of talks about the the benefits of um, which one is fastest and uh, error handling with SDK and, and so forth. So if you haven't read that, I'd highly recommend checking that out. It, it is kind of interesting to see uh, again, perspectives from people externally doing this and the best ways to catch some of the behaviors of the graph if you're not expecting it to behave the way you think it would uh, behave. I, yeah, you know, I hadn't seen his blog post before, but I have seen his error message he references in there before. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, you know, that's it's nice to see error handling and and logging it's not the glamorous part of code but that's certainly production necessary production ready code needs this stuff so it's great to see someone else focusing on that and blogging about that so yeah great and then uh, again it's another new name for me to so certainly get go into my uh, my list to follow that's great yeah, it was kind of funny because he said, I'll read this because it's kind of interesting. It was like, the during my test, it took one minute to go through all users in a tenant with 40,000 users. In a tenant of 500,000 users, it took more than 20 minutes to walk through all the users. So there's definitely things you need to take into consideration, especially around like your select queries and, you know, don't just pull every object unless you're really going to use them. Uh, you know, in your dev environment, it works great. You've got 25 users <laughs> to pull yeah, it to right. a production customer with 500,000 users. You're going to start hitting some funny behaviors you've not seen in your developer environment. So it, those kind of things are always good to understand when you're writing your code in the first instance, for sure. Yep. Yep. Um, all right, so some of the community stuff I found, um, the first one uh, posting is Jamie McGuire, who is, um, an MVP as well in the AI space. Jamie has a blog post about integrating Bot Framework Composer and Adaptive Dialog to create user configurable chatbots. So let me, we can unpack this a little bit here, right? So the Adaptive Dialogs is what the Bot Framework SDK is calling some of their new st- way to to interact with with the human. It's not the Adaptive Card stuff. So Adaptive Dialogs, uh, it's a basically declarative way to say I want you to render this and you, whatever the user's language is, use some use some artificial intelligence to to generate the response. And then the Bot Framework Composer is a I want to say it's like a logic apps slash flow t- 
type of of designer for 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 designing a conversation that you want to have the idea around here is for those of us who've been around for a while remember back in the day we would we could use sharepoint designer to write workflows or we could open up visual studio to write a similar kind of concept you can use bot framework composer to 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 chart out these conversations or you can write them all in code but the idea here is that um, bot framework composer exports uh, a, a json file or javascript and that's exactly what the bot framework will run so the, the fidelity you know 100 fidelity between the two tools and so if you're in the bot world or you're just jumping into the bot world or or if you're a jaded developer like me says well these drag and drop WYSIWYG things are you know put me in a box that i don't want to be in it's worth certainly reviewing what he's got here to go through all the steps here because uh it's it's not bad yeah and even since he wrote this blog post um there there was a uh, this was the end of February. I, I, I saw the bot composers had uh, quite a few commits to that repo. And so um, things are, are moving fast in that space as well. But it's a great overview of how to get started and I think would be helpful to anyone who's in trying to get into it. I love the fact that it even does things like, I mean, obviously we probably would need to as a baseline, but the whole branching of, you know, based on the response, do this or do that. Seeing that visually is very, very cool. And I know there's other platforms out there in the industry that have been doing this for a while, but it's nice to see the bot framework tackle that with composer that's really neat yeah yeah it's good stuff it's really good and it looks a lot like things that we've seen before in 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 the world so the the goal there is that uh, it'll be familiar for our power users to help do some of that work to get things started and then as developers can pick up their output and and harden it and and go forth so great great stuff to see there from from jamie the next one is a blog post from Steve Fenton, and um, Steve uh, wrote a blog post that uh, a tip that I, I kind of stumbled across and using myself, but his is called Easy API Testing with the REST Client Extension for Visual Studio Code. A couple pieces before, right? So you could always do the the Visual Studio Code will will issue a REST request with this extension. It'll you type in a URL, hit the button, and it does the REST request, and you can see the raw request response, which is nice. Fiddler does that. A lot of tools do that. Um, Postman does it as well, right? And then I wanted to use it because I could then have a window inside VS Code to look at the results of my API as I'm writing the the TypeScript to to consume it. But then I ran into a struggle where um, I needed a token to call a graph. And and I had a blog post a few months back about how I would just cheat and use like the Office 365 CLI or or PowerShell to say, give me a token. And it would just dump it on the screen and I'd copy paste that into my, my window, right? Because... You know, it's my dev tenant. It's just me working on what do I care if a token is copy pasted, right? But Steve actually went through the work and shows how you can do the scripting type language, if you will, or, or a series of, of requests to actually acquire a token inside this file. So if if you don't have the CLI handy or you're you're not using the Microsoft uh, identity to to get the token, but you can go through all of this stuff. So it's a great little, it's a great extension. It does uh, some wonderful things. And Steve's got a nice little how-to on how to tie these pieces together. Yeah, super cool. We, we were playing with this for another way, yet another way of exploring the API. But the initial feedback we got from users was that so many people will just use Graph Explorer that we don't really need to satisfy that in Visual Studio Code. And if people wanted to do it, they can kind of work it out with that plugin. But um, it'll be interesting to see how that plugin keeps maturing, whether we should keep an eye on that, as, especially if we can kind of like auto-gen it somehow to make it super easy as a, a yet another way of doing things. Yeah, to be honest, I've not put, run it directly at the graph to get information there because, as you said, the Graph Explorer's got basically what I need. But if I, you know, for my 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 backend where I need to 
the code I wrote last week has already been, you know, swapped out of memory onto disk. I don't remember what the shape of the object is, so it's nice <laughs> to have that. And the last set of links I'm going to put in here is is a whole bunch of them on the bright, shiny things that confuse the heck out of me for using React hooks inside of SPFX. So I'm, um, have you uh, played with React hooks at all? In your world? I have not got there yet. I think the last like UI work I was doing was mainly around Angular. I never really jumped the shark to React when everyone jumped the shark because I changed roles. Yeah, okay. So um, React Hooks is a, an evolution of, of the React lifecycle methods, if you will. And, and so obviously there's a lot to learn there. But a couple things that become quite simple is that as I'm writing a, a, a component that's going to be consumed in React, I want typically you want to refactor code, right? So back in the C Sharp or .NET days, I would put that in a separate class and I'd have to new up a class and then pass in whatever information it needed and then I could call methods on that class, right? Well, the, the React Hooks object is, it's more like I can uh, function-based where I can just define or import the, the, the hook and say, use this thing. So they have a bunch of use state or use context or use whatever, right? So that's the idea around that. Well, so this started with Vardaman Tishpande, who we've talked about before, who who wrote a hook that says, I want to use the service scope in the SharePoint context that comes with SPFX. So rather than have to new that up in my top level web part and pass it as a property to all the child components so that I could use it, you know, seven layers deep, I can just... He, he has an example to use the context hooks and say, use the scope, and it, it's just magically available for me. And then um, from there, um, Gary Trinder, who's done some work on the uh, Office 365 CLI, went through and he iterated on that uh, solution by using it, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff. He, there's a link to his uh, GitHub repo. And then after that, Sergey Sergeev. Um, has a blog post, and so his is the first the, the the first one that I found in Backtrack. So Sergey goes to and talks about this, uh, some real world examples on how to go through and and do um, React hooks in the SharePoint framework. And lastly, I promise that there's some work here. Uh, Rabia Williams, who's a brand new MVP. Uh, yes, uh, yes, and so Rabia actually showed here how to use a hook that can then go through and get some data. And so her example is get a list of adventures from a, a, you know, a backend system. So I can use hooks to call an API. So the moral of the story, of course, is if you have an API that you've looked at using the REST extension, you can now find it a simple way in any component to make a call. And through this magic of React hooks and the context, it'll work and get you your code. And again, you're not, you're not passing properties back and forth, up and down crazy inside of React, which can sometimes get nutty in a big system. So it's a great collection, a uh, community effort. I don't, I don't know that they haven't necessarily orchestrated this. It was kind of, you know, people starting at Vardaman and building on top of that from there. So it's great to see uh, stuff. And I, it's certainly worthwhile to get your hands on this if you're doing front yeah, end work. Yeah, that's really cool. Awesome. That was a lot. And we kept it under 35 minutes. It wasn't too bad. Yeah, so um, uh, helpful. I'm hoping if people found all these bits and pieces helpful, and and as you see here, most of our our show was the community information here. So the community has definitely got their groove on in this new year, and love that. If you're if you've written a blog post, it's related to M365 development. Tweet at us or get hold of us somehow. We'd love or to. If you, right, if you find one that you think is worthy, definitely tweet at us too. Like I, we try our best. There's a bunch of like 
Google alerts I have on various different keywords and see whether people I'm not familiar with are blogging. But um, yeah, if you are finding content that we're not mentioning in the show, we'd love to know, mainly because I'd like to read it too. But um, this podcast has definitely helped to um, get more traffic and exposure to these authors that are, you know, doing this. It's very hard when you first start out with a blog to kind of get a following. Obviously, there's those that have been around for a long, long time that, you know, they get lots of Google juice, but um, we're trying to help here. So if you are writing or you know of a good writer, please let me and Paul know. That'd be awesome. Yes, absolutely. And, and in the case of this Rabia, a newly minted MVP, I think in the last couple, three That's months, right. and I've seen, I've yeah, seen yeah. Inf- information everywhere. I mean, her stuff is all over the the my twitter feed all of a sudden so it's great to see that energy so i yeah we'd love to cast a wider yeah. net so it's certainly uh certainly helpful and she's from brizzy or brisbane as yeah. we say but as americans say brisbane. brisbane yeah well see when i clicked that on the about me page and i looked at her and i thought that okay you know everyone looks young to me but then when she was she has a seven-year-old i'm thinking holy cow <laughs> <laughs> I felt even even older than I than I did before. But anyways, yeah, so great well, stuff. So. You, you have grandchildren, Paul. I do so. have two. I have mo- yes, grandchildren. Yes, 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 I do. So, so. get off my lawn. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> uh, great to finally catch up, buddy. And uh, we got to yeah, we get back too, in mate. the groove, and uh, we'll go from there. Cool. Cheers, buddy. Stay safe, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 